Before we begin today's show, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Posh Virtual Receptionists and Axiom. Welcome to the Modern Law Library. I'm your host, Lee Rawls, and today I'm joined by Wendy Tamis Robbins, author of the book, The Box, An Invitation to Freedom from Anxiety. Wendy, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Lee. Towards the end of a year, I think a lot of us become very self-reflective, start thinking about where we are in life, where we want to be, um, the things that are stopping us from you know, achieving our goals. And certainly, in the practice of law, there are a lot of people who struggle deeply from anxiety, whether that's a generalized anxiety disorder, panic attacks, or just you know something that has not yet been named but is just so present in their life. So I love that I can have you on uh, to talk about your memoir. Can you tell me a little bit about what drove you to write this and about its kind of unique form? It's not a self-help book, as you say, it's, it's a memoir. Can you talk about your writing process? Sure. So the book really started as a way to, I was really at a crossroads in my own life, spiritually, mentally, um, where I had realized that from a very young age, probably about six years old, I had created this mental construct that was like a box. And that's where the name of the book came from. Um, I had discovered that that what I thought was keeping me safe and controlling my anxiety was actually doing the exact opposite. It had really become a prison. And at times I was agoraphobic, so literally a prison. And I had to really make a choice and decide whether or not I was going to try to find freedom from that, from that box, from that prison, from that mental construct. Because the only alternative was to stay in that state of being sort of a, a slave to my disorders. So that's when I started writing my way to freedom, essentially. I didn't know really what the answer was when I started writing, whether or not I was going to find any relief or freedom from my disorders. So it was really, truly a process in the making as I was writing the book. And then about halfway through, I realized that not only was I saving myself, but that I was creating a process that others could learn from and grow from as well. So that's why I decided to actually um, finish the book and go ahead and publish it. And I normally don't ask my guests to read a passage from their book quite yet, but I think that uh, given what the passage is, this would be a great time. Could you read a little bit from the chapter in your book called Purpose? Sure. So it starts, I believe the highest purpose for each of us is to realize our fullest potential by living our most authentic life unapologetically, in color, and out loud. But we all face barriers between imagining what that life looks like and then actually living it. Those barriers come in all shapes and sizes. Some are mere hurdles, while others are brick walls. These are the boxes we find ourselves in. We started building them at different times and for different reasons. We had different tools at our disposal, The world can be an overwhelming and unpredictable place, and we use these coping mechanisms and mental constructs to deal with and make sense of it all. Some are healthy, and some are destructive. Just as each person's journey is unique, so are the boxes we live in. As a child, I was overwhelmed by fears and began building walls to protect myself from what caused them. As I grew, 
My fears grew irrational and all-consuming, manifesting into an anxiety and panic disorder with isolated bouts of depression. As the anxiety escalated, my walls grew taller and thicker. I watched my world shrinking around me. What was once my safe place had become my prison. The limitations I had placed on my life, both physically and mentally, were literally suffocating me. That was very powerful. And just to talk about the structure for anyone who is thinking about picking up the book, The Box, An Invitation to Freedom from Anxiety, you talk about various episodes in your life. I I don't really want to call them anecdotes. It's very inward focus. You're giving people a look into what was happening in your mind. But from the outside, observers would see you as someone who, you know, the varsity athlete in in high school and athlete in college, went to an Ivy League school, successfully graduated from law school, and, you know, you were involved in politics at a national level. And all of these are points at which someone from the outside could look at you and your resume and say, oh, this person is experiencing success and doing great. And I think that a lot of people listening to this may be able to recognize that too. Inside, that was not how you were experiencing your life. Can you talk about that disconnect? I can now. It was an enigma to me for a very long time as well, trying to reconcile being an overachiever and, and appearing very put together from on the outside, you know, this is the mask that we learn to wear when internally I was completely unraveling. And I think that from the beginning, a way that I started to, because of the volatile home that I lived in as a child, I became a perfectionist, a people pleaser. I was hyper vigilant, always always waiting for that next moment where I needed to keep everyone calm and make sure that the chaos didn't start again. So these are skills that unfortunately were destructive for me personally, but they're reinforced in a very positive way externally, like that list that you just went through. Like, you know, it helps you get straight A's. It helps you be a great athlete and and get scholarships and, and move through this system swiftly and with, you know, a lot of accomplishment at the end, but it doesn't really deal with the turmoil or address the mental health issues that are bubbling underneath the surface. Those were skills that I hadn't learned yet. And that's, that's a lot of what writing the book did for me was each of those anecdotes in the book while they are done chronologically so that it reads well, those were actual spots that were still open wounds for me that I needed to go back and revisit and reparent myself and write about it until I could understand where all of these pieces of the puzzle fit together. There are a number of points in your memoir where you remember a time or recall an incident where someone did you know, say, hey, is something wrong? Or you even got to the point where you were sitting inside a therapist's office for a first appointment, and you still were not able to say, even though you knew inside, yes, there is something wrong and I need help, you couldn't cross that hurdle. And I think that that's a place many people also are in who are, you know, the high achievers um, deal with anxiety and perfectionism. They know something's wrong, but they can't then say, and and I need help and please help me. 
What finally helped you get to a point where you could say that openly? I got to a point where I realized on some level that becoming vulnerable was the key to unlocking the door to that prison, that I had to step into my truth regardless of people you know, gaslighting that truth or judging me for it, or I had to finally put myself first and look at the shame that I felt around that in a very real way. Once I started to do that work, I I almost immediately felt a freedom and a peace and a release of these very difficult emotions that I had been living with for so long. Like, at the core of my my being, like my body felt lighter. I, I could sit without having scary, irrational thoughts running through my mind constantly for more than a minute, you know, and start a meditation practice. I could finally breathe again. When I talk about, I felt like I was suffocating. Once I started to really step out into that light and, and speak my truth, it was it was literally that maxim, like the truth will set you free. And once I started to feel that, there was just no turning back. And that was part of, you know, there's shame personally, but there's also the stigma within most of our industries, definitely the legal industry. And there was really no fear around what will my firm say? What will my client say? Um, Like I said, there was literally no turning back. It was was like I had seen the light at the end of the tunnel and I, I just had to keep moving toward it. And then once I did speak my truth, the floodgates opened and everyone around me saw me as a safe place to share their own story. And so then I finally felt the connection that I had always been looking for, but seeking it in in more destructive ways like external validation and things like that, rather than having this these vulnerable conversations in, in creating genuine connections. So that just started this snowball effect, essentially. And when it came to, like you say, in the legal industry and and many others, there are a lot of fears about, okay, well, what if I am then not considered fit to do my job, et cetera? At any point, did you reach out to a lawyer assistance program or any resources like that available to you? God, you know, I I wish I knew they even existed because I, I was, I feel like we don't know enough of what is out there and available to us. I think that there can be a lot more, a lot Uh, it can be communicated a lot better around what services are available, first of all. And I, I never really, I didn't, A, because I didn't know they were available, and B, I'm not sure I would have even had I known, because I was, till the very bitter end, and probably through writing the book as well, still thinking that I could do this myself. And I sort of I, I got a lot of the way there, but I think having come out the other side now, I found a lot of coaches along the way, you know, people come in and out of your life at different times for different reasons, who definitely helped me keep my head above water as I found my way to shore. I really try to promote that now that people do utilize those services um, as much as possible because it would have helped me so much at the time. And I wish I had had them a lot sooner. Well, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from a sponsor, but when we return, I will still be with Wendy Tamis Robbins, author of The Box, An Invitation to Freedom from Anxiety. As a lawyer, ever wish you could be in two places at once? 
You could take a call when you're in court, capture a lead during a meeting. That's where Posh comes in. We're live virtual receptionists who answer and transfer your calls so you never miss an opportunity. And the Posh app lets you control when your receptionist steps in. So if you can't answer, Posh can. And if you've got it, Posh is just a tap away. With Posh, you can save as much as 40% off your current service provider's rates. Start your free trial today at Posh.com. You're no stranger to compromise. You're a lawyer. But getting the legal team you need is a compromise you shouldn't have to make. Like when you have to invest in hiring a full-time generalist lawyer when you need a highly specialized IP counsel. Or when you don't want to bring in your external law firm with their partner-level price tag. Axiom can help you match the right legal resource to the right matter at the right cost for the right duration. No legal leader should compromise their high standards. And with Axiom, you don't have to. Learn more at axiomlaw.com ABA. Welcome back. Wendy, one of the things that really struck me as I was reading the book is there is a passage in which you talk about how so much of the self-help advice, these articles that go around, um, even, you know, working with psychiatrists, uh, a lot of the system that we have set up to support people's mental health is directed towards making them be productive rather than addressing what's going on internally. And you can be highly productive when it comes to billing hours and still be extremely miserable and and deeply unhappy. Uh, Can you talk about how you think about that and what you think we can be doing to get past that just, well, you're productive now, so everything's okay? Yeah, I think that there is just more of a personal aspect to it that we need to dig a little bit deeper to ask, ask more vulnerable questions around what has happened to people, what their experience has been like, what it feels like for them to, you know, be experiencing their world as a human. I I feel like everyone has a different story and a very important story. And once we start sharing those stories, that is sort of where we start to start to do the work that really needs to be done internally, like really sitting in those uncomfortable spaces and excavating, you know, those pockets of pain that I'm sure everybody has within themselves that sometimes productivity does the exact opposite. It gives us something to sort of deflect our attention in a different direction. I think that the self-help advice and even sometimes therapists who, for me, I felt like they couldn't really relate to specifically what I was going through. I think that sometimes those things can just be a distraction, like a, a top five ways to get happier in the new year or something like that. And then, you know, you try them and you're distracted for a while, not really dealing with the internal work that needs to really happen first. Like what's happened to you? How have you experienced this life in this world up until this point? Like really going and asking the difficult questions and finding a space that feels safe for you to get vulnerable and to share your story and to sit with those really difficult emotions that you may have been pushing down for a very long time and, you know, perhaps not dealt with because you're just over consuming all of these self-help type books that 
are more dealing with things more on, on a surface level. One of the main themes in your book is, to me, how you go from having a mind that can't shut off at all and the experience of, you know, asking you to be mindful or to meditate just seemed impossible. Sit in silence for more than a minute? Just how? So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how meditation has worked for you uh, for, you know, it's it's never been something that has worked for me, but I really found the description uh, that you had in the book uh, really enlightening. So I'd love to hear about what a meditative practice has done for you. It's really helped me cultivate this calm center within my body and my mind. Both my body and mind felt like very unsafe places for me for most of my life. And that created a lot of anxiety. It created a lot of looking for distractions like we were talking about earlier. Um, So it helps to be a lawyer who has plenty of work to um, distract you at all hours of the day. So meditation, I would dip my toe in and I had a really difficult time. And it was really like Anne Lamont, the great um, author, always says like, my mind is such a scary place. I would never go in there alone. It's like, you know, it's like a bad neighborhood. I would never go in there alone. So that's exactly how I felt. And then when I was at that crossroads, just before I started writing the book, I had started this um, online workshop with Martha Beck, who is an incredible author, um, PhD from Harvard, just she's Oprah's life coach. And she gave me an amazing meditation that I talk about in there, just about watching an unbroken horse run in a corral. And you watch that horse run, you sit with it, and watch it for several minutes every day until it stops running. And essentially that horse is the embodiment of your anxious thoughts. And I did that. It took about two and a half weeks for me. And each day was different. And it allowed me to process so many of these difficult emotions that I've talked about. Some days I would be really close to that horse and I would be able to really sit with it and feel it and feel the pain and I would cry. And then other days I would be up on the hill and watching that horse from afar and not able to really access um, whatever I needed to process that day. And so it was really this interesting journey and it was really the first time that I could, once I got to that point where the horse was so exhausted and I had run through so many emotions and really released a lot of difficult emotion that I was able to then just sit in silence for a few minutes. And that was really where the journey started. And then after that, it grew into something that became a very profound place for me to go internally to heal. When you talk about the box. It is a metaphor for so many things, but you fully describe in the book how small your life had become in certain time periods. And one of those seems to be in law school. If you today could talk to law school, Wendy, what are some of the things you would tell her? What would I tell the girl in law school? Well, yeah, by law school, I was living within like one block, one city block, working, going to law school in my apartment. And I think I would tell her that 
even, you know, so many people, my initial reaction was that it will all be fine. It will all work out. And I know back then I would have translated that into some professional or attributed some professional meaning to that answer. Like, oh, of course I'll get a job and I'll I'll make all this money and everyone will think that I'm so accomplished as a lawyer. And because that's what I was looking for at the time. But I would love to tell her that everything's fine right now. Like you're fine right now. You're valuable right now. You're intrinsically worthy of your own love and others. Whether you become a lawyer or not, you can stop right now and you can be fine. And I think that probably would have, I can see myself crying at that age right now if if somebody had said that to me. Often I'm talking to authors right as their book has been released or even shortly before, and they don't even know what the response is going to be. So it's really a privilege to be able to talk to you. I think it's more than a year since the book has come out. Could you talk about, you know, you say that even during the writing of The Box, you were really in process of dealing with all of these these issues that have plagued you for most of your life. In the year since you have released this to the public, what has the the response been? You alluded to it a little bit earlier, but I want to hear more. It's been really overwhelming and it has completely changed my life I, I in ways that I hadn't expected. So I wanted it to change my life from a mental health perspective, which it absolutely did. But once I stepped out. And I think the first real program that I did was with my law firm, Holland and Knight, and about 400 people showed up. And within a day, I had close to 200 emails from people who had been, who had attended the, um, the, it was sort of an interview style program. From that, I was moved to start coaching and doing corporate programs and things like that, because I really wanted to start to connect with these people in a, in a more personal and on a deeper level. And so that really started to change uh, my own outlook. And then I would continue to get just amazing messages through social media and through email, through my website from people that I have never met. And so in the last, I would say 18 months, I have I just created this tribe of people that it's just this this vulnerable connection and community that that I've seen created around me that is like nothing I could have ever ever imagined and it's just really incredible and it's incredible that people feel safe enough to reach out and share their story with me really it's led me into my my passion now which is I've put my my legal practice, I've pressed pause for for a bit to start a community exactly for this, a wellness community for professional women, because I see a gap in the support that they're getting. And it's the space that I really want to inhabit for most of the hours of my day. You know, these are the people that I want to be with and that I want to support on a daily basis. We're going to take a quick break to hear another word from our sponsors. And when we come back, I'll talk to Wendy about what to do with your feelings of anxiety during the COVID pandemic. The ABA Journal Legal Rebels podcast features the men and women in the legal profession who aren't satisfied with good enough. These are the people who are changing the way law is practiced and setting the standards that will define the profession in the future. 
Each episode, we share their story. To hear insights from those with an eye fixed towards tomorrow, follow the Legal Rebels podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In a world that's constantly changing, the law and how it's practiced must also evolve to keep up with those changes. The ABA Journal's Asked and Answered podcast dives into the compelling stories surrounding lawyers' personal and professional lives. I'm your host, Stephanie Francis Ward, and each month I bring on a new guest to explore their involvement with our dynamic legal ecosystem. For the stories that bring the law to life, Follow the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Welcome back. I am still here with Wendy Tamis Robbins, author of The Box, An Invitation to Freedom from Anxiety. And Wendy, um, I too have experienced panic attacks and, and anxiety, though fortunately, you know, my experience was, was not as severe. And I will say that a two-year period where, you know, you're not seeing as much of the people who make up part of, you know, your regular tribe and knowing that, you know, often you can tell your anxiety, hey, bud, you know, I, I, it's okay. What you're concerned about is not real uh, and it's not really out there. There are times in our lives where we are anxious about things that are Yes, genuinely a threat or genuinely a danger. How do you talk to yourself or get yourself through those periods of time where you can't just tell anxiety, hey, it seems like we're being irrational? (laughs) Well, it was uh, for somebody who had been anxious and hypervigilant and sort of waiting for something like a pandemic to happen my whole life, I was, I sort of felt a little justified at the beginning. Like, this is exactly what I've been telling you all is going to happen. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the people who are used to being anxious, I think sort of fell into their sweet spot at the beginning of the pandemic. Like, yes, I know exactly how this, this is supposed to feel while everyone else was finally feeling anxious. But, you know, as it goes on to your point, I think that connection and checking in on each other is super important. I think that loneliness is something that a lot of people experienced during the first year of the pandemic and loneliness is a place from which so many mental health issues um, comes from. So I think that self-care has to also be something that we absolutely prioritize. I think that we should prioritize it all of the time, but when there are threats and some people, you know, threats can also be, it's kind of like, it's all relative depending upon your level of comfort with risk. Some people didn't feel as threatened by the pandemic as some others did. And so I think a lot of things can play out that way. So depending upon who you are, like knowing how that is affecting you, being very self-aware and mindful of where your thoughts are going, where your behaviors are going, have they become more compulsive, more impulsive? Um, are you, are you, um, are you triggered by things more quickly? And, and so seeing how your anxiety, your level of mental distress may be 
getting to a level where you need to really start to double down on your self-care practices. I think all of that is really important when we have, you know, global, national, whatever threat may be affecting you. I'd also like to talk just as an example to my listeners about your experiences skiing. And I promise this is going someplace, uh, Modern Law Library listeners. So skiing is one of the activities that you, you know, in the past had tried. You had, you know, positive or negative experiences with them, but it really stirred up a lot for you. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because I just found it so interesting in the book, especially when you finally would just give yourself permission to be like, hey, if we're feeling too anxious to ski down this hill, it also is fine that if I get to the top of the mountain, I can walk down the mountain. That's fine. And just allowing yourself the space to, you know, have have more adventures like that. Yeah, skiing was a really big part of my exposure therapy early on. And it's going to be, again, frankly, because I haven't skied but for once, I would say, in the last two seasons due to a knee injury. Skiing, I would say being outside in general in the winter. I, I grew up in New England and it, like it's very interesting to see the joy that comes over my husband at the first snowfall. It's the exact opposite for me. So I was the child that my mom would put all of this, you know, the snowsuit on. And I felt so claustrophobic in all of that gear that the minute she shoved me out the door, I was banging on the window, like, please let me back in. I was not out there building snowmen and, you know, frolicking in the snow. I was having a panic attack. So for me, even to go outside in ski gear and stand there and breathe was like the very first step. So it progressed from there. And yes, it got to a point where I had to really feel like, and I mean, I've been an athlete my whole life. So it was also difficult and sort of, there was, it was a source of shame, like to go out there and really just suck at something like <laughs> as an adult trying to do this and just falling over when some other people were just skiing beautifully with ease past me was a source of shame for me. So I had to really become the student again and get to a place where I could just be happy being on the mountain, regardless of what I looked like and regardless of how anyone else was judging me. So it was really a source of growth and, um, again, exposure therapy where sometimes on that chairlift, you know, if it paused and we didn't know when it was going to start again, a lot of panic would arise and I had to really breathe through it and know that I could get through that moment and really talk myself down and, and through it until ultimately, I mean, in the book, it sort of crescendos with me getting injured at the top of a very difficult blue in Switzerland where no one was really speaking English and having to get toboggans down headfirst off of that mountain, which was just really putting my, my skills to the test. So yeah, skiing has been really quite an extraordinary teacher for me. Well, I really hope you get to get back on the slope soon. What else do you think is in your future? At the end, I'll, I'll ask you to share some links with our listeners who are interested in, in more, but do you see yourself ever writing a book or do you think, again, or do you think that, you know, you wrote this one for a purpose and you're going to be 
you know, using your insights in, in different manners going forward? I definitely feel like there is another book coming. I can feel it sort of being birthed inside of me now because this past year I did, I was diagnosed with cancer in April, just as I was trying to merge my wellness platform and my legal practice. And I had this very clear vision of what 2022 was going to look like. And I was, you know, going to really merge this personal part of me with the professional part of me. And it was all going to be beautiful. And then I got diagnosed with colon cancer in April and went through a very, very different journey. And interestingly enough, I just recently went back and looked at the, the 10 things I had written down at the beginning of the year as sort of my New Year's resolution, not resolutions, but things that I wanted to change and wanted to manifest in this year. And I manifested every single one of them and they all came more swiftly, more, you know, bigger and brighter than I could have ever imagined because of the cancer journey. And I, I know that without that, I never would have imagined all of the things that have come into my life since then and because of it. So that has sort of, you know, as, as humans, I feel like if you're into personal development and we feel like there's always another layer to crack open and peel away. And this year very much symbolized that for me, that there were so many pieces of me that were shed during this healing process that I have, you know, just another, it's another layer of growth and uh, mindfulness. And I want to most definitely write about that. And then with that, really just grow this community of professional women in Cave Club. I so look forward to it's all of the things that I was doing last year that that I loved so much, whether it's programming or meeting new exciting experts in their field and really diving into their new modality or coaching people individually or finding these peer support groups that I find when women just come together in those spaces, real magic happens. And it felt splintered last year. Like I didn't really know which one was the right one for me and really like, who is she? And is it confusing to people? And now I've housed them in this one place for this one community. And it just feels so right. It feels like all the pieces have locked together and I'm just really so energized and feel so empowered by it. And that's even before I get to meet all these amazing women. So I just, I really, really look forward to 2023 and all, all that that has to bring me. So if people are interested in picking up a copy of The Box or finding out more about Cave Club, where can they go? Uh, my website is wendytamisrobbins.com. Everything's there. The book, different places you can buy it. If you'd like to just um, buy it from a local bookstore, there's some links there for that as well. But of course, Amazon um, and the audiobooks there as well. And Cave Club is currently, um, its own website is still being, as of December, it's being created behind the scenes. As we all know, uh, that always takes a minute. But on the front page of my website now, you can pre-register with no obligation. You'll just get emails, weekly emails until it launches March 1st. And you have your own podcast. Could you tell people about that? 
Yes. So Perfectly Panicked is on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And the final episode, episode number 20, just dropped at the beginning of December. And it's super powerful. It's with an amazing man, Ken Walsh, who shares his story of addiction and loss of two women in his life to suicide um, and also his own mental health struggles. So of the 20 episodes this year, you know, it's a very safe space to talk about. I share a lot of conversations about mental health and anxiety in particular, being an attorney. Yeah. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to my listeners. If our conversation did spark anything in a listener who's an attorney who wants extra support, I do want to mention that lawyer assistance programs are available in every state. And I urge you to look out for those and reach out to them for help and assistance. And thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening service. And if you have a idea for an interview for the future, you can always send those to me at books at abajournal.com. <laughs>